Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Except in his office, Ebenezer Scrooge was still working. Here's what Dickens says about it. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old center. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret, self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin. He carried his own low temperature always about him. He iced his office in the dog days of the summer and didn't thaw at one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry chill could chill him. No wind that blew was more bitter than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast of advantage of him in only one respect. They often came down beautifully, but Scrooge never did. So this is the beginning of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, written in 1843. And it was uh, produced, I think, on December 1st of that year and became a, a bestseller by Christmas. Um, and it's a story of, a, as you can see, a hard-hearted, cold, icy person. Someone frozen inside, someone who is so frozen that the rain and snow doesn't make any difference to him. And this is a story of his awakening. This is a story of, of his coming alive. Now, of course, this is also a metaphor for our lives, for our practice. So the Dharma of Ebenezer Scrooge is the, the, the Dharma of how Ebenezer Scrooge woke up, became enlightened. How Ebenezer Scrooge turned from this bitter, hard, cold person into someone else. And of course, we all have that Scroogeish part about us. We all have some part that's closed off, that's isolated, that's frozen inside. So it begins, once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. The door of Scrooge's office was open, so he could keep his eye on his clerk, who was in a dismal little cell beyond and was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so much smaller that it looked like one coal. And he couldn't replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. So as surely as the clerk came in with the coal shovel, Scrooge predicted that he's going to have to fire him for wasting resources. Wherefore, the clerk put on his white comforter, his white muffler, 
and try to warm himself at his candle. In which effort, not being a person of strong imagination, he failed. And in the door, kind of surprising Scrooge comes, a cheerful voice, Merry Christmas, Uncle, God save you. The voice of Scrooge's nephew. And it came upon him so quickly that it surprised Scrooge, and Scrooge's response was, Bah! Humbug. Bah! Humbug. Who cares? What else could I say when I live in a world of fools like this? Merry Christmas. Out on Merry Christmas. What is Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Leave me alone. Now, of course, we all have done this. You know, we're in our own sullen, frozen, sulky, self-pitying mood. And somebody greets us cheerfully and tries to say something cheerful to us. And we basically say, bah, humbug. You know? It's not how I see the world. But his nephew is a very uh, indomitable spirit and bright and cheerful and says, okay, even if you're feeling that way, I'm still going to invite you to come, to come for Christmas dinner with us. And Scrooge says, you'll see me in hell first. <laughs> but the nephew is, again, undeterred. And as he leaves the office, he wishes a Merry Christmas to, the, to Bob Cratchit, Scrooge's clerk. And Bob Cratchit responds and says, Merry Christmas to you, too. And Scrooge says, you say that one more time, I'm going to fire you. You make only $100 a week. You've got a wife and a family. You live in a hovel. What do you have to be merry about? We all have fixed views. We all think the world is the way it looks through our eyes. Perhaps it's the world of devastation. Perhaps it's the world of injustice. Perhaps it's the world where everything is dying. Perhaps it's the world of life. We all have fixed views and we are frozen and we, bah, humbug. We're satisfied with our opinions. So you can imagine into this office, into this atmosphere of, of Scrooge comes in two people who are going to ask him for a donation. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge said the gentleman taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Scrooge says, well, aren't there any prisons? Well, there are plenty of prisons, say the gentleman. And union workhouses, you know, poor houses, are they still in operation? Well, yes, they are. I wish I could say they're not in operation. Well, the treadmill and the poor law, they're still in full vigor then, right? You know, the debtor's prison. So if you go into debt, you would be imprisoned until you could pay off your debt or until somebody could pay off your debt until you could be reclaimed. And they made those debtors' prisons extremely uncomfortable 
because they didn't want people actually staying in them. So the idea was, we'll cause you so much suffering that you'll want to get out and you'll desperately do whatever you can do to pay, the, pay your debt. And one of the ways of that suffering is you put people on a treadmill and you'd have to work on your treadmill all day long. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then said Scrooge. Both are very busy, sir. And Scrooge says, oh, I was afraid from what you said that something had occurred to stop them in their useful, useful course. I'm very glad to hear that they're still working. I support these establishments. They cost enough, and those who are badly off should go there. And the guy says, well, many people can't even go there. They're worse off than that. Many people would rather die than go there. And if Scrooge says, if they would rather die, then they better get on with it. It'll save the overpopulation problem. So imagine what it must be like to be suffering like somebody like Scrooge is. So tight, so narrow, so bitter, so hard, so, so at odds with the whole world. How did he get that way? It doesn't just happen naturally. It has a cause. It has a, a sequence of causes. And somehow, in a, in a way, he has reached a, a, a pit. He's reached the low point of his life. And he heads home, and it's through the London fog. And the London fog in those days was so dense that during the day, people would have to light candles. During the early evening or night, people would have to hire people with torches to go ahead of their carriage so they could find where, where they knew where they were. Or they'd have to have guides through familiar streets because it was so dark. There was so much coal, um, <clears throat> smoke in the air, the inversion, fog. There was a Stygian darkness. You read about it in Sherlock Holmes. So he's on his way home through this pitch black darkness. And something inside of him begins to stir, some fear. He's in the dark, and he's going to his, his house. He lives in a gloomy suite of houses where his former, parlor, former partner, Jacob Marley, used to live. And it's dark, and it's foggy, and it's gray, and it's cold, and Scrooge begins to feel some tremors of fear. He comes up to, to his house, Marley's old house, and he remembers Marley, his business partner. Seven years ago, he died. And he was as mean, in every, both senses of the word, as Scrooge was. And when Marley died, Scrooge took no notice of his death. Scrooge stayed in his office. He kept doing business. He kept doing his accounting. He was so indifferent to his partner's death that he didn't even bother to remove his desk from the office, didn't change the, his name on the door. And he lived in his abandoned house. So he's coming to his abandoned house of his dead partner, seven years, one life cycle, dead partner, and fear is beginning to bubble in him. Walking into this cold, dark, dank, 
uh, place with no comforts, no ease. And he goes into his room and he triple locks the door and he pulls the curtains down and he starts a little tiny fire that he's hovel up against. And suddenly he begins hearing clanking noises. Somebody were, as if somebody were dragging chains. And his mind hears these noises and hears bells ringing and things in the dark. And he begins thinking about ghosts. And I say, oh, I'm living in a ghost's house. The sounds come closer and closer. And Scrooge, of course, his reaction is, bah, humbug, I'm not going to believe this. I'm not going to get caught by all this. I won't be affected. But then through the door to his room floats the ghost of Jacob Marley. The same face, the same expression, the same clothes. But Jacob Marley had a chain wrapped around his middle. It was long and wound around him like a tail. It was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. So Scrooge is sitting here in the dark and sees this. He says to himself, Ah, I'm not going to believe that. You're just a bit of undigested beef. You're a blot of mustard. You're a crumb of cheese. You're a fragment of underdone potato. There's more gravy in you than in the grave. Than the grave. At this mockery, the ghost raised a frightful cry, shook his chain with, chain with an abysmal and appalling noise, and Scrooge, fearful, held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. But how much greater was his horror when the phantom, taking off the bandage around his head, as if it were too warm to wear indoors. Now, in one of the things that they would do, preparing people for funerals, is they would wrap their head, and they would wrap their head to keep their jaw up. So, and I presume rigor mortis would set in and keep the jaw closed or, or somehow, but this specter unwraps this cloth around his head and his jaw falls down. And Scrooge leaps down to the floor and says, Mercy, mercy, dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? And the ghost of Marley says to Scrooge, every person has got to review their life. And I've come to warn you. I've come to show you that the, what I forged in life with my karma, the choices that I made over and over voluntarily, link by link, yard by yard, I, bound, I made these chains and I wrapped, wrapped them around me and I wear them. This is my result of my actions. This is my karma. And I'm here as, as a way of trying to make a little amends to warn you. I have no peace. I have no rest. I am restlessness itself, carrying this burden. I can't stop. I can't. My mind is so unstable. But tonight, I've come to warn you to say you'll be haunted by three spirits. And without their visits, you have no 
chance to avoid the same path that I do, did. So he's, Marley disappears, and Scrooge sits in the dark for a while and finally goes to bed. And the sound of the one o'clock bell in the morning, they used to ring the church bells every hour, the one o'clock bell, he's asleep. And in his dream, a spirit comes. In his dream, this spirit is filled with light. He sparkles and glitters and changes shape. And Scrooge is kind of a little bit in wonder. Who are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. I am the ghost of your Christmas past. Scrooge says, why have you come? For your welfare. My welfare. I'm as rich and a good night's sleep would save me a whole lot better than your visit. Serve me a whole lot better. The ghost says, I'm here for your enlightenment. Now, he's Scrooge asleep. He's talking to himself. Where are the spirits? Where are all these things located? They're all not located somewhere out there floating around. They're in his own mind. So his own mind is beginning to, to stir, to, to look directly at his own history. And the first thing the, that this spirit does is take Scrooge back into his memories, back into his early memories, and he sees himself as a solitary child, neglected by his friends, left at Christmas time in the place that they saw him was mean, poorly furnished, cold and vast. There was a cheerly bareness in the place associated with somehow with getting up too much by candlelight and not enough to eat. So this early Christmas, Scrooge sees this abandoned boy, sad, brokenhearted. You wonder, what happened? Why is he here all by himself at Christmas? And then the scene flickers. And another Christmas, and the same boy is there. But this time his sister comes in, whom he, who's full of light, and says, Oh, our father is no longer abusive. He's now entered AA. You can come home. And he remembers a, a flicker of, of joy and happiness. But then this sister dies. She had such a large heart. She died, but she left one nephew, the very nephew that came into his office a couple of days ago. And suddenly, another Christmas comes. And so Scrooge, again, looking through his mind, seeing this abandoned, impoverished boy, seeing this broken-hearted boy, and then he remembers he was apprenticed to a man named Fezziwig. Fezziwig. And Fezziwig, at Christmas Eve one year, when he was working with him, suddenly closed up his shop and brought out this feast and brought musicians in and had everybody, all of his friends and everybody dancing. And Scrooge remembered being so happy and so moved and 
kind of remembering this, this pleasure that he had forgotten. And in the course of that pleasure, in the course of that joy, he actually met a young woman and they became betrothed. And then, bloop, another Christmas. As, as Scrooge begins to age, as Scrooge begins to mature, and we see what happens with that young, abused child, full, so full of fear, trying to find a place of safety. And we find that he's getting prosperous now. He's actually beginning to be successful. And so his mind grasps the hold of it and wants more and says, oh, that's the way. Just happiness and satisfaction. That's the way. I'll get more. I'll get more. I'll get more. And he sees himself now sitting with this young woman and she says, it matters little if we break up. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in the time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. And Scrooge says, what idol has displaced you? She says, a golden one. There is nothing, Scrooge says, on which is so hard as poverty. Nothing professes to condemn it so much with a severity as pursuit of wealth. She says, you fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its solid reproach. I have seen your noble aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion of gain engrosses you as I have not. So again, this is a metaphor for us. We have these places in us and we develop these lives to try to compensate for those places, for the scared places, for the weak places, for the the sad places, for the broken places. And we become professionals. We put put on our suit of armor or we become an expert in this, an expert in that as a way of defending ourselves from that place that feels scared and broken inside. And in the course of that, we begin to separate from the joys and pleasures of our life. And then one more flicker, and he shows this young woman, Polly, with a very happy family, all the, all the beneficent things that would have happened to Scrooge if he hadn't been so avarice. And Scrooge, kind of seeing this contrast, goes unconscious, faints. But to that same night, the same bell is still striking the same tone in his same dream. And a second spirit comes through. And Scrooge is beginning to feel alive. I mean, there's, there's a pleasure in getting to know oneself. There's a pleasure in seeing and feeling and being touched, having one's own deepest fears. So he's actually a little more interested. He's not so scared this time. He thinks, oh, well, I'm kind of looking forward to this. And the second specter comes in and looks a little bit like Santa Claus. 
an early version of Santa Claus. You know, his, his clothing is green, not red, and he has holly in his hair and not a cap. But he's got, you know, white fuzz around him. He says, come with me. I want to show you something. I want to show you what's going on right now. You know, you on Christmas Eve, you were sitting in your office so cold and so miserable and so hard and so... I want to show you what else is going on right now. And so he takes him out and he shows him people moving and traveling to one another's house and preparing feasts and wishing one another a Merry Christmas. And, and each time that he sees somebody, he sprinkles them with good cheer. The, the spirit of Christmas present sprinkles them and they become happy. Liberation is possible. Liberation is possible. And he takes him all over the country, very quickly, of course, into mines, into ships, into London, into the darkness of London. And he says, there's goodwill everywhere. There's a possibility of, of, of life. And he sprinkles them all with the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of kindness. And then he takes Scrooge in the present moment to his clerk's house, Bob Cratchit. And Bob lives there in this house, a hovel, not well lit, with his wife and four children in four rooms. Not well clothed, wearing patched rags, ill-fitting shoes. But they're together and they're doing their best. They're preparing a feast for them, a small feast, and they're making toasts with broken cups. <clears throat> and then they begin having some toasts. God bless us all. A Merry Christmas to us all. God bless us. And all the family re-echoed that. God bless us, everyone. And Tiny Tim, last of all, repeats it. God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim sat close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob Cratchit held his withered little hand in his as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. So in the midst of their poverty, Scrooge, who has everything <clears throat> and is so cold and bereft, in the midst of this poverty, in the course of a family, in the course of loving kindness, in sharing what they can share. There is a life. There is warmth. There is love. And then Tiny Tim has caught Scrooge's attention in this, and Scrooge says, what's going to become of him? What's, what's going to happen to him? And the Spirit of Christmas present says, I see a vacant seat in a poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. This child will die. And Scrooge is touched. This, this child in this warm family, this child that is loved, is going to, to die. 
and in the spirit of Christmas present, throws Scrooge's own words back to him. Well, you said if people are going to die, they better do it soon and decrease the surplus population. Remember that? Scrooge is getting a reflection, seeing his own mind state. Then Scrooge hears Bob Cratchit making a toast to him, to Scrooge, his, his miserly, parsimonious boss. And he says, to Mr. Scrooge, the, the founder of this feast, His wife comes in and says, he's an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man with his parsimony and ill usage of of you. He's the ogre of the Cratchit family. And everyone who was so happy and joyful became dismayed at the mention of Scrooge's name. Bob Cratchit is still appreciative that he has a job, that even though it is not an ideal job, there are, it is the, what it was enabled them to have this little meal. And lastly, I think, They go to Scrooge's nephew's house. Again, just seeing Christmas presents, seeing what's going on right now. People having joy and wishing people well all over the world, seeing the Cratchits kind of surviving on love and kindness. And they go to his nephew's house. And his nephew is talking about his earlier visit to Scrooge's office. And he's repeating his bah humbug. And he says, well, he truly believes that. Scrooge truly believes that that's the case. He's a comical old fellow, very unhappy. But I'm sure his offenses carry their own punishment. His weight is a terrible weight. His wealth is a terrible weight that never does anyone good. Karma is real. Karma is real. We forge our own life. It's not though the ego says, I want to shape my life and make it look like da 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 and the ego then, you know, kind of lays out a pattern for success and safety of the ego, self-centered, small view, but rather that large mind which is aware, that large wisdom of us out of which things come, arise, and that little choice that we're always making, open, closed, safe, not safe, that little choice begins to shape what kind of person we are. And, he begins, and Scrooge begins to see that the person he's become and what's in his mind or his own thoughts are grim and cold. And he was watching this pre-COVID party and people, and his heart began to warm. And his nephew says, you know, even though he's an old miser, I still wish him well. 
still wish him well. And Scrooge's <clears throat> heart begins to soften. Well, against this, this joy and this happy time, the spirit of Christmas present is standing there, and Scrooge notices there are two, two impoverished ragamuffins, two children who are clinging to Christmas present, two children who are huddled against the spirit, yellow, ragged, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, and miserable. Well, who are the, these? What, what, what is this? And the spirit of Christmas present says, these are ignorance and warm, want. Ignorance and desire, craving. That they, in, they infuse the Christmas present for so many people. They're ignorant. You are ignorant. Your desire and your craving, your clutching, has created a monster. And Scrooge says, well, get rid of them. And the spirit of Christmas present throws back his own words. Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? You can't get rid of them. They're in your mind. They are the forces that have obscured, occluded, covered over, frozen the joy, the happiness within you. And the spirit departs. Now Scrooge is still lying in his bed. He still is, is there. He's been in this dream. But as he looks at his mind, as he begins to see, he, he also recognizes that liberation is possible. That there is love, there is warmth, there is happiness, there is positive things in the world. And his hard, cold ice cube of a self begins to crack. And he has an intellectual understanding of this. He kind of intellectually knows that these things now exist in the world, and before he was unable to even intellectually understand them. You know, like us, we all read Dharma and understand, think, well, I understand this and I understand that, I know how this works, and we can use the words and we can phrase, but we haven't actually, it hasn't actually penetrated. And so the third spirit arises from his mind, a third spirit arises in the dream, the third spirit. And this one is a very different spirit. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and misery. It was shrouded in deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing visible save for one outstretched hand. But for this it would have been difficult to detach the figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intimately, intently fixed upon him. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed, 
I fear you more than any specter I've seen. But I now have faith that you're here for my benefit. Even though you're really scary, even though it's really hard to look at you, I now have enough trust. Will you not speak to me? The figure gave no reply, just held out one hand and pointed. And they go to the city, he takes him into the city and sees some business people talking. And they say, well, he died last night. I thought he would never die. What's he done with his money? It'll be a very cheap funeral. I doubt anybody will go to it. If they pay me, I'll go to, I'll go to his funeral. And two old business acquaintances, you know, sitting there talking, saying, old Scratch has finally died. He got his own at last. I hear that's true. Yeah, well, you know, the weather's pretty cold, isn't it? And he sees, Scrooge sees, that nobody, nobody has been touched by his life. Nobody has cared for him. All they see is this broken miser. Even in his death. And then they flash again to another scene of Christmas future, and this is in a rag and bone shop. Rag and bone shops were, were shops where people could bring anything that they found. Old clothes, old bones, a piece of metal, you know, things that were stolen, things that were found. There were people who, in Victorian times, would go through the sewers looking for uh, bits of metal that got dropped inadvertently into the sewers. People would go up and down the, the river looking for things that had been fallen off of boats. And they would collect them all, you know, steel, laundry, shoes, whatever. And they would take them to the rag and bone shop. Robert Bly used that as an image, the rag and bone shop of the heart, a place where all the detritus ends up. And the finger is pointing, and there are three people there sitting in this shop, a charwoman, cleaning person, a laundry person, and an undertaker. And they're all talking about Scrooge. And they're all saying, oh, I'm so glad he died. I was able to get the clothes he wore. I was able to get the rings off his fingers. I was able to get the, the bedding off of his uh, bed and the drapes around his bed. I was able to get all of those. Ah, I'm glad he's died. It's done me some good. Fingers just pointing. Watch. Watch your life. Watch the outcome of your life. And he points back to the Cratchits. And now, the Christmas future, Bob Cratchit has lost his job. They're living in great poverty. Family is depressed, worn out, weak. Tiny Tim has died. And then the finger points at a grave. The name Ebenezer Scrooge is on the grave. Scrooge is in despair. There's joy in the world. 
There is love in the world, but he has not touched it. And in real life, he has only brought misery. Wanting and craving are his children. He's seen all this, and it impacts him. It shatters this frozen miser. And he wakes up. We always wake up. We always wake up. That's our experience. You know, deep, dreamless sleep, we wake up. We're really sick, we wake up. We're unconscious, we wake up. We always wake up. We have no evidence personally, that we will not wake up. We have no evidence whatsoever that we will not wake up. And so, even as we approach what we call death, there is no evidence that we will not wake up. And Scrooge woke up. He actually began seeing that this frozen edifice that he had created was unreal, was a figment of his mind. And he realizes it's still Christmas Day. There's time to rectify my life. There's time right now, despite this whole life, I can start today. I can do some good today. I will live in the past, present, and future. Spirits of all three will be with me always. I won't forget the broken-hearted little boy. I won't forget the joys and the sorrows. I won't forget the loving kindness. And I will live accepting, knowing all these parts of myself. I will live in the present. I will not live in the future. I will live in the present. The present, the only place that liberation is found, the only place that freedom is found the only place. And he's so giddy with joy. He's had this experience and suddenly this old frozen view of the world has fallen away and he sees the world with a bright, clear eye. And he wakes up and he says, I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath, making a perfect idiot of himself as he tries to put on his stockings. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy New Year to all the world. Hello, hello. And so then he begins to act differently. He buys a large dinner for the Cratchit family. He goes to his nephew's house and enters into the spirit of the holiday. He meets the people that he had made so much fun of and rejected when they came into his office asking for alms. And he says, I want to help you. And he whispers in the ear, and said, I'll help you this much, and gives an amount. And the man is staggered. He's in shock that this guy would do this. 
And then Scrooge says, thank you for accepting it. And he has a wonderful Christmas day. In the old days, he would have been on the day after Christmas, on Boxing Day, he would have gone to his office early to try to catch Bob Cratchit coming in a few minutes late so he could give him a hard time. And this time, he showed up early and was waiting for Bob to come in. And he walks in the door. Scrooge grabs him and says, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm going to raise your salary. I'm going to help your family. And a Christmas story ends like this. Scrooge was better Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all. And the possibility of the possibility of liberation, the possibility of the deep freedom of the truth, the possibility of the freedom of reality is overwhelming. It's so deeply affecting. It turns, goes right to the core. And we see the only place that liberation is possible is right here, this moment, in this inclusive time. And then, out of that liberation, out of that deep, heartfelt, genuine movement, comes activity. Scrooge did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good as a friend, as good as a master, as good a man, as good as a good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the whole good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he would let them laugh. Some people criticized him and made fun of him, but that was okay with him. He little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happens on this globe for good at which some people do not try to make a mockery of. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it was quite well that they may as well have some fun at his expense. So much better than the opposite. His own heart laughed, and that was enough for him. So, this is the Dharma of Ebenezer Scrooge.
the possibility of our own waking up. In this moment, the only moment there is, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future, all right here, right now. The liberation of everyone found right here, right now. His own heart was light and happy, and that was quite enough for him, because his own heart touches everyone. It's the Dharma of Ebenezer Scrooge.